Welcome to Evergreen LA's Sermon of the Week. This week we had a little technical issue, and so you're going to be hearing from some microphones that are not directly the handheld microphone. So please bear with us this week, and we'll get back to our normal, high-quality audio in weeks to come. The last couple of weeks, we've been speaking around the topic of rest, and last week, busyness. And I feel like this ties right in, although it may not seem so. I want to preach today on the person and power of the Holy Spirit. My goal this morning is to bring a Christ-centered theology of the Holy Spirit. As modern charismatics, we, we've grown, we've shifted, people worldwide have awakened from a slumber of religious duty to understanding and experiencing the ways and the workings of the Holy Spirit in your lives personally, and we're learning how to do it corporately in church bodies throughout the world. And I believe that we're in a season where God is restoring a Christ-centered theology of the Holy Spirit, or in more theological terms, this is called a Christocentric pneumatology. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Christocentric, Christ-centered, pneuma, Holy Spirit-ology. Works, right? Today, I want to explore the person and power of the Holy Spirit. One of the great problems that I see in the church today is an under, a misunderstanding and a nervousness when talking about the Holy Spirit. For those who are not well acquainted with Him, they often say that Holy Spirit's more like some sort of impersonal force. Well, brother, the Holy Spirit is the power that convicts people of sin and leads them to salvation. Well, yes, but sadly, it kind of stops there. They treat the Spirit like it's some, some sort of kind of God salvation lasso. But the truth is that he's so much more than a force from God to gather more souls, and to create larger ministries. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus and the Father are God, and He too is a person of the Trinity. Mm. Scripture unpacks that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yes, He is one God, yet with three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. We never want to find ourselves being those who use the Holy Spirit to further our goals. In fact, He is the goal itself. We can be so consumed with trying to find our own meaning and our purpose on the earth. What can I uniquely do to make a difference? What else can I do to make some sort of difference around an impact? What else can our church do? But I strongly believe that God is moving us away from being a purpose-driven church to become an intimacy-driven church, Ooh. a spirit-driven church, yes. a glory-driven church, a compelled-by-the-overwhelming-love-of-God-driven church in this city. You Ooh. see, he's not looking for another assembly line worker. He's looking for lovers. Yeah. He longs to commune with us person to person, and his desire is to awaken hearts, yeah. to be transformed into those who long to be with him, in His glorious presence each and every day. Amen. One of my favorite verses is from King David, and he was accessing a strong foretaste of what it would be like to be saturated in the presence of God day by day. And you can hear the longing in his soul to stay in that place with God and to discover the more of who God is. 
So let's read it together. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing that I ask in the Lord, this only do I seek. Do you guys have one prayer in your life? This is the one thing that I'm asking of God. What if we could narrow it down to just that? This is the only thing that I seek. That's a big statement. What are you seeking in your life? Can we realign it to the only thing that we're seeking? This is what the heart of David, who was a man after God's own heart, was craving. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. We can still accomplish a lot. And frankly, it's beautiful to have vision and purpose. But the ironic thing is that in the kingdom, workers may accomplish a lot, but lovers are going to accomplish far more than workers. It's the economy of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, is a spirit being. He has his own personality and characteristics. In Greek, he's described as the paraclete. I said paraclete, not parakeet. <laughs> I went to this church today and the pastor, I, I thought the Holy Spirit was a dove, but he's, he's a parakeet. Paraclete, paraclete. Meaning he is described as our advocate, our helper, and our comforter. When Jesus had resurrected from the dead and appeared to followers for 40 days until he rose to heaven, they were so thrilled that he was alive. Yet they also somewhat ached and grieved to have him with them for more than 40 days. But he had to ascend to heaven, <coughs> sit next to the Father at the right hand, yet they wanted to be with this man, their God, their King. How else were they going to live this life and know what to do? How were they to follow God in this new covenant with proper theology, and the ways that Jesus taught. John's Gospel tells us the solution. Here Jesus speaks to his followers and says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The Greek word here, counselor, can be translated comforter. It's the word paraclete. Its definition expanded means one call to the side of another and to counsel and support the one who needs it. That's the Holy Spirit, the one that is called to our side, the third person of the Trinity who is a spiritual being and a personality that miraculously indwells every believer in Jesus as Lord, the one who counsels and supports us continually. But some believers are so nervous when they talk about the Holy Spirit. They'd almost prefer that the Trinity was Father, Son, and Holy Bible. <laughs> Why is this? I believe it's because many believers have had rough experiences with certain Holy Spirit-focused groups. People have abused what they call the Holy Spirit, and they use it for their own gain. Whether it's an abuse of power, and abuse of money, poor theology. God gave me this new revelation. 
And within two months, a new cult is formed down the road, calling it New Revelation. So rightfully so, there's a fear that the church will get off track if we lose the grounding of the Word of God for the sake of fresh revelation from the Spirit and throwing out the authority of Scripture. Therefore, the experience of abuse leads to fear. And fear always leads to a form of control. Yeah. Yeah. And we love to control what we don't understand. Yeah. And so goes the church. Fearful of the people who are attempting to navigate the spirit. So let's just stick to what's safe. Another reason is that when, when the Holy Spirit moves, it can often look messy. Revival can be very messy. Yeah. You have a lot of personalities who are seeking God, but still need healing. Yeah. They're in process, and their messes often come out when there are powerful moves of God. People struggle to understand why God chose to move a certain way. Why a person next to them is responding, crying on the ground. Why is there so much snot coming out of this person's nose? Are they okay? <laughs> Why is this person laughing? Isn't this the church? Where is the reverence? They're laughing. Down on the ground, maybe up in the rafters. You never know. Whatever may happen, it's a little hard to navigate. And also in these settings, it's common for some immaturity to come out with those experiencing God. If people need attention, if they need something to prove, if they want to show how spiritual they are. It's just immaturity and room for growth. But it can be stirred up when there are moves of God. So rather than judge these people who may be a little fearful, we can have compassion on those who love the Word, yet are timid with the move of the Spirit, knowing that their hearts are probably pure and right, but there's still so much more to experience of God. What else does Scripture tell us about the Holy Spirit? We're going to take a brief survey of some Scriptures of what the Holy Spirit is like. So I'm just going to go through these really briefly. He has a will. 1 Corinthians 12. He's knowledgeable. I'm going to read a few of these verses. 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Number three, he speaks. Number four, he teaches. I'm going to read this from John 14. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. So good. You're going to hit a few of these. He has a mind. He loves. He can be grieved or insulted. You've heard of grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. It really changes the way that we interact with God because it's not so much about, oh, I sinned, I messed up, I struggled in this area. Rather than entering into condemnation, 
we've entered into a relationship. And so we've realized that we've actually grieved the heart of God. Number nine, he's omnipresent. And number 10, he's omniscient. Those are big words. Omnipresent means he exists everywhere. And omniscient means he knows everything. This is what the Holy Spirit is like. Now let's look at what he is involved in. What is he doing and how is he working? First of all, creation. He was just as involved with creation along with the Father and the Son. Secondly, salvation. The Holy Spirit is involved with each and every person that experiences salvation. It's the drawing in of the Holy Spirit in a life that opens them up to understanding and belief. He confirms the Lordship of Jesus, that he is indeed the anointed one. Next, conviction. He convicts us of our sin. But it changes from being a God that is out there to get you and to punish you, to being a father that is, is one that loves his children and wants to see you in your best. And so though he convicts, it's always to raise you up to a higher place. It is a turning from where you've been and from your sin and your wrongdoing, but it's a turning to the arms of grace. Another definition of repentance means to return to the high place. I love that. Where have we wandered off the path? Where have we wandered off the mountain of communing with God? We've made our own way. We've made our own mess and our own trails. He says, repent, return to the high place. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can both repent and are made right. The miraculous power of God. The Holy Spirit releases miracles. And finally, revelation. He reveals the will of the Father to us. He constantly and continuously is pointing to Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus. Um, there's a man named John Crowder. A lot of his teaching is inspired by him. And he says, the only interaction that you've ever had with God has been through the agency of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that again. The only interaction that you've ever had with God has been through the agency of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals the eternal truths of Scripture. It's not going to be understood merely by human wisdom. It takes a supernatural understanding gifted by the Holy Spirit. Let's read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. Yeah. It may look foolish to the world, but it's through the power and the unveiling and the revelation of the Spirit that we are able to discern what is true and right. It's the Holy Spirit that enlightens us. It's 
beyond our mental capabilities to comprehend the depth of his nature. And as we engage and read scripture, the Holy Spirit longs to illuminate the words that we're reading, that we can consume them and more fully understand what we are engaging with. He is the only one that makes the word alive. Yeah. Speaking of scripture, I just want to say quickly, the way to interpret scripture is with scripture. The word of God interprets itself. We don't rely solely on our experience, a denominational preference, or a tradition. Yep. Nor do we base our doctrine on revelatory experiences that we have had. This is the quickest way into a cult. <laughs> but if the word is your anchor, it actually allows you to have an even greater encounter day after day with the Holy Spirit because you have a solid foundation that you've built your life upon. There's a safety, there's a garden, there's a protection there that actually feels incredible because nothing God will say or do will contradict with the eternal living word. You guys get that? Yeah. As much as we love to hear the voice of God for ourselves, personally and corporately, it is not going to go against what the eternal word of God says. Yeah. And so we have to always come back. How does this compare? Is there anything that is contradictory? And that will keep us in a place that is safe and solid so that we can then ascend in the things of the Spirit. If you long to live your life victoriously, it's going to be only through His power. Yes. We are called to be part of building and expanding the kingdom of God. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit working through you. It's our ministry to others filled with the Spirit. It's the preaching of the gospel filled with the Spirit of power and boldness. It's the Holy Spirit's role to open spiritual eyes to see truth and to discover Jesus as Lord. It's the Holy Spirit's power that brings healing to the sick, the raising of the dead, spiritually and physically, yeah. and the expelling of demonic darkness. It's so much more than the knowledge and the understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And His goal is to have our hearts consumed with His holy love. It's His holy love and His holy fire that He's longing to consume us with. He's not somehow less than the Father and the Son. He is equally God, and therefore he is deserving of honor as God. Yeah. And he's not to be ignored. Rather than ignored, Holy Spirit is longing to be enjoyed. Yeah. He's the Spirit of God that is right here, right now, even as we talk about it, closer than your very breath. You don't even need to chase him down. If you're a son or a daughter of God, he is inside of you, and he's ready to meet with you moment by moment. <laughs> Galatians 4, verse 6. Because you are sons or daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So many believers are well-intentioned, but they limit their own experience of God with the belief that somehow the, sh the heavens are shut. Yeah. So many cry out, quoting Isaiah 64, Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. 
They're quoting an Old Testament passage, longing for the presence of God to be made manifest on the earth, God with his people. But this ancient prayer has been answered. God gave his only begotten son, and his very blood made a way for us to experience open heavens. The blood granted access into the inner sanctuary of God himself. We live under an open heaven. Where Where in our lives are we limiting the presence of God by our belief system? He longs for us to go beyond the veil and to walk into a living relationship with the Godhead. And we do so through the Holy Spirit. I think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is very young when an angel shows up and tells her, you're carrying the savior of the world. It's impossible. No, literally, angel, that's impossible, let me tell you. Really? She's experiencing the miracle of giving birth to the manifest expression of Jesus on the earth. And similarly to Mary, our high spiritual calling as saints is to partner with the ways of the Holy Spirit to birth from the invisible realm into the natural realm. And as we do so, we reveal Jesus to the earth once again. But this time it's through our lives and through the church by the working of the Holy Spirit. And this is part of our greatest purpose our lives then bring forth the reality of the unseen on earth as it is in heaven. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, let's read together. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? I really wish we could comprehend what this means. If we really got it, that the Holy Spirit has chosen to make us his very temple, how would we change the way that we walk, the way that we see, the way that we talk, and behave? How would we behave if we knew we were his holy temple? But somehow we've created a separation. God's over there. One day, I'll be in his presence. Right now, I feel the distance, so I'm going to choose to behave how I want to behave. But I know I have this nice ticket to heaven one day, that feels good. But, you know, he's not here, so we do a little wandering. How would we behave knowing that we truly are temples of the Holy Spirit? It brings a fresh motivation in how we live. Just as Jesus had the Spirit without measure, do you know that we are in union with Jesus? The same limitless supply of God is accessed through our union with Him. And as the Spirit has made your body His very dwelling place, we too have the Spirit without measure. You don't have some sort of fun-sized God living inside of you. 
It doesn't grow and develop over time. Oh, I have a little more of God now within me. I've stewarded that fun-sized Snickers very well. You don't have a small sliver of God. The amount of God that you have cannot actually be measured. That's good. The amount of God that each and every one of you have when you've given your yes by grace to make Jesus Lord of your life, when he fills your life, that cannot be measured. Yeah. And I felt it necessary to build a framework for who we are interacting with to prepare us on how to wait for him. Waiting on the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't know his nature and what he's like, and what his ways and workings are, how do we wait upon him? He is the one that will teach us who he is and how he wants to interact with us. In Acts chapter 2, famously, this is the birth of the church. Yeah. The flooding of the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind and it impacted each and every person that was involved. Did you know there was only 120 people in the room at the time? That's about half of this room right now. Can you imagine it? That's all it took. 120 people seeking the face of God, knowing the command of Jesus, wait here in Jerusalem, for I'm sending the helper. They paused. They met together. They were seeking his face. I'm sure they were worshiping. They were seeking scripture. They were relaying the words that Jesus had spoken, comparing notes, telling stories. They didn't have the scriptures as we have them now of the New Testament, but they knew the words that Jesus had spoken and the lives that had been transformed through his ministry. And so here they gathered in a room together, seeking his face. And then the Holy Spirit showed up with power. It's the waiting. If 120 people can turn the world upside down, what is it going to look like as we wait upon him? We prepare our hearts knowing that he has come, and now we just have to turn our hearts' affections to him and listen in a posture of shalom peace. He may come like a wildfire and a rushing wind once again, or he may choose, because he's a personality, he may choose to linger in a holy reverence, in a silence, or he may want to come and highlight physical healing, the kingdom of God being released upon our bodies. Maybe he wants to show up with a people group and bring encouragement, and that our words of encouragement are filled with his power. What if he wants to come with the love of the Father to ascend upon the room, descend upon the room, and that the, the powerful, tangible love of the Father is realized in a way that we never have before? Maybe he wants to come into a space with his weighty glory, the kabod presence of God, and we can just sit experiencing his tangible, weighty glory. 
There are so many ways that the Holy Spirit wants to move in our lives. If you've grown, grown bored at all of following Jesus, I want to encourage you. It's time to connect with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, come on. You will not be bored a day of your life. No. <laughs> yeah. You can be bored of religion. Yeah. That gets boring real quick. Yeah. <laughs> give me this, this guidebook of what to live by, some do's and don'ts, show up, sing a few songs, hear a sermon, go about my life where it doesn't really apply. Yeah, that's pretty boring. <laughs> but when your heart is awakened and full of the fire of the Holy Spirit, yeah. you're not going to be bored. You're not even going to be thinking about being bored. <laughs> you're going to be set up, set up flame just as he's a set up flame. What does it look like to be a people who learn to wait on him? And how will we respond when he shows up? Can we do so in unity? That's my question, and I've been, I've been mulling over this for a little while. Since we've been coming out of, out of this season of COVID, we have a lot of new people in the house, which I love. So many people have moved from outside of LA to LA. Some people have never found community, and they're, they're here. Um, I've seen more and more people come into salvation for the first time in their lives. Okay. And so we have people from a variety of backgrounds. You probably have not spent five years with me teaching you and leading you into a place of this is how we do life with Jesus, this is how we hear the Holy Spirit, this is how we connect with the Father, and this is how we relate to one another. This is all very new for this community in some ways. But one thing that has been impressed upon my heart is to teach you guys how to come into a place of unity in the house. Good. That not, not only, as we encourage you to do, not only have daily intimacy with God where he shows up in your bedroom or on your couch as you're reading scripture or as you're on a walk or a drive. Those are, those are beautiful and important and crucial. But God has designed it in such a way that we come together and he loves to show up when the saints gather. Mm -hmm. In a unique way. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, I just started talking about how God is omniscient and omnipresent. So sometimes you guys are confused like, why are we inviting God to come? Isn't he already here? Why do we say, come Holy Spirit? I mean, you just said he's closer than our very breath. This is part of the mystery of God. And I want to I connect you to a story of Isaiah where he saw a vision of the Lord. He saw the glory of the Lord in the temple. But the, the language says that the glory kept coming. And it kept coming. The train of his robe kept coming and kept unfolding. And it's as if there are measures of God that we can't really understand in our human reasoning. But he loves to show up, though he is here and though he is present, he will manifest himself in all sorts of different ways. Mm. So what are we doing to prepare ourselves for the ways that God has chosen to manifest himself in this house? Are we guarded? Are we fearful? It's a little scary for me. I, I don't like that people are crying next to me. Like, Definitely don't like that laughter. That is a Satan. Cackling <laughs> <laughs> <Catherine> from hell. <laughs> Whatever way that God chooses to show up, are we going to be offended? Or are we going to choose to take our offense and bring it before him with humility? Because it's, here's the deal. 
eyes on Jesus. Yeah. If we're comparing and contrasting, I don't know if Ned over here is having a real experience with God. It doesn't look like it. Showboat Ned over here, once again. Maybe Ned's actually having a real encounter with the Holy Spirit, where the things he found annoying in his life are being worked out, and you don't even have to. Where that's taking place. I'm down for that. Holy Spirit, work out all the kinks in our lives. He does. He really does. He does it in community, too. Sadly. Damn. But what does it look like to prepare a whole company of people for what God is wanting to do, for what he's craving to do, so that when he wants to enter a space, we are not grieving him, and we are not quenching him, but we are saying, come, let the King of Glory have your way. I don't fully understand it. This is odd for me. This is a lot for me. I'm uncomfortable, but it's not about me. Mm, it's yeah. about you yeah. having your way. What are you wanting to do in my heart today? And what are you wanting to do in the hearts of men and women throughout this space? Because we are longing for the power of God. I'm not interested, I've said this before, I did not move to Los Angeles so that you guys could have a nice October roller skating event and go camping and have good community and have buddies in Los Angeles that you see every Sunday and maybe. I love that. I love community. In fact, do it. Please do that. Come to skating. But that's not why I moved here. I moved here because I wholeheartedly believe that this city, much like the 120 gathered in Jerusalem, is a megaphone and a Roman road to the ends of the earth. That's why I'm here. I want to see hearts set on fire that burn with a holy flame, that cannot be stopped, cannot be quenched, that don't look at the voices around but are so obsessed and possessed by the Holy Spirit. Yes. They're saying, every other opinion doesn't matter. I am yours and you are mine. So whatever you've called me to, I'm stepping into. And I'm encouraging my brother and my sisters to my right and my left to do the very same. And we're going to link arms and we're going to know that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And we're going to do so in a posture of Sabbath rest. Because we know that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And so having our hearts set aflame, knowing that we become lovers of God, laid down before him, then he arises us with boldness and power and says, go forth. Go forth together. Bring this holy flame of love into the city around you. You're on set. What does it look like to be a walking temple of the Holy Spirit on Fox set? What does it look like to be someone that's delivering food to someone's house and you're like, ugh, I'm just getting minimum wage, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting by. No, you are on wheels, a temple of the Holy Spirit. What if you're supposed to go to someone's house and at the gate you have an interaction with someone and for, for about five minutes you pause in your schedule because we're people of rest and not busyness 
And we decide to have a conversation that leads to the Holy Spirit descending upon your conversation and leading someone to an encounter of love. What if it just takes a shift and saying, I'm not in the jail of doing Postmates. I'm actually on assignment right now. This is my form of worship, and I'm going to bring Jesus through this act of worship and be the best Postmates driver I can be. A consistent perspective away from my victim mentality into a victorious mindset. This is what Jesus is doing in our lives right now. He's awakening us. He's awakening us out of any slumber that we've been in. Any complacently, complacency that we have fallen into. And he's shaking us out of it. Because he loves us that much. He's like, I love you too much for you to stay in this place of complacency. Yeah. I love you too much to stay in this place of a hardened, hardened heart. Yeah. I long to commune with you. Just like Adam in the garden. The Ruach. Walking with God. In the coolness of the day. Where are we inviting into our lives that, that divine interaction? Yes. Letting the spirit breath be manifest in our lives. Where are we turning our attention away from the voices of this world and connecting with him past the distraction? Yes. Isn't your heart craving for that? Yes. Yeah. Even right now, I know it. I know that he's awakening hearts. I can see it in the spirit. He's placing his hand gently but firmly. That doesn't even make sense, but it's happening. <laughs> I see it. It's, that's the way for God. It's, it's that, that gentle yet firm expression. Because he doesn't want to let go of your life. But he's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. I think of a story, I wasn't planning this, a story of Graham Cook. He's a prophetic voice. He was ministering in Kansas City years ago. And as he was on, on the prayer ministry line, this gentleman comes up next to him, and this prophetic voice to his right starts prophesying over this man. And then the guy that's receiving prayer, you can just see that he's tired. You, see, you can see that he's hardened. But, but somewhere out of desperation, he came forward, and he wanted a fresh word from the Lord. He wanted fresh prayer from the Lord. And so what this, this guy on Instagram says is, I see your heart, and your heart is like a walnut, and the Lord's going to crack your heart open. <laughs> and Graham's looking like, oh my gosh, this is not what this guy needs in this moment. Would you be encouraged if you heard that your heart's hardened like a walnut? <laughs> Great encouragement, sir. So, maybe there's something to this word that is on, but the wrong delivery. So, in, in God fashion, did you know that the Lord loves divine opportunities and divine connections? Yes. Well, the very next day, Graham walks into Starbucks, and he sees this gentleman who had been prophesied over, sitting at the table. And he goes, oh boy, this is going to be good. <laughs> so he goes up to this man, and the one that had received the bad word. And he says, hey, young man. And the guy looks up and sees him, and he's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's that guy from the conference. 
And, you know, he's just in that place of hardness and disappointment. So Graham, Graham's British. He's a little cheeky. Yes. And he says, I have a word for you. <laughs> the guy's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> and uh, the guy actually responds and curses at him. He's like, F no. Have any of you had that before with prophetic words? It was hostile. But Graham's like, I see you like a walnut. And then he says, but here's the thing. The Lord wants to take any shells that you formed over time. And he says, the Lord brought, brought to mind what happened to this, this young man. So at age four, you were abused. At age seven, this happened to you and your family. At age 11, this took place. You've built, you've built up some walls, rightfully so. Really, really high walls. Good job. He says, but the Lord sees your pain. He sees the walls that you've built up. But he's not going to crack it open. He wants to take you and emerge you in the presence of the Holy Spirit that is like an oil. And then over time, this grace and the anointing of the Lord will soften the shells, and the walls will be removed, and the softness of your heart will be engaging once again with Him. Mm. He had this interaction with the gentleman, prayed with him, he could see the shift take place. And I think it was about nine months later, this guy runs up to him at a conference and says, you have no idea what your prayer did to my life. I am free from pornography. I'm free from this Thank certain Jesus. addiction and free from this area from that moment. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that sets people free. That when you actually attach to the anointed word of God, there is a power and a grace released in someone's life that they can connect you with their spirit and get an agreement in yes. and see the power of God change a life. Yeah. Yeah. So the question remains, are we willing to be a people who allow God to move in this way? Yeah. Yes. Are you hungry and thirsty for the more? Yeah. Yeah. Can we wade into waters that we might be a little uncomfortable with, that might feel like a little bit of a temperature change, but we know that we want to get into the depths of who God is. Yeah. Let's go ahead and stand up.